So, this month is Black History Month, um, the month of February, in case you didn't know or had forgotten. And I heard a story uh, a couple of days ago about a guy who was a slave in the 1800s. And I've never heard this story. You know, you've heard of Frederick Douglass and all of that in class and stuff like that. But I saw a story of a man named Henry Brown. And um, Henry Brown was a slave in the South, and he wanted freedom really, really bad. Like, I would assume majority of slaves do. He wanted, he wanted to be free. So what he did was he decided to, to get a little two-by-three box, like a really small box, and it labeled it dry goods, like dry food goods and stuff like that. And he climbed in that box and got a couple of his friends to, to help him, uh, you know, put the lid on the box. And he went on a 27-hour wagon ride to Philadelphia um, inside this little box with just a little bit of food and a little bit of drink. And, um, and he, he gets out of the box. He's free. He's, he's, he's gotten his freedom. And as he, as he goes, as he continues, he has to flee the country because he got really famous for this box. This box was like a huge deal. And he had, his nickname was actually Henry Box Brown. And, um, and that, that's pretty significant. And we'll, talk, we'll get to that in a minute. But so, so this man flees the country and he does a show in Great Britain with this box where he's depicting what happened. He's depicting um, his 27 hour wagon ride over, over a shorter period of time, much like theater or a play or something like that. And he's using the very same box that, he, that, that got him his freedom. That, that was the, the reason for his salvation. And then later on in his life, he, he was able to come back to the United States and he was actually a magician. And, you know, magicians use boxes to escape and stuff like that. So he um, used the very same box again that, that saved him in every single one of his acts that he ever performed. And uh, he was famous for this box. The reason I tell you this story today is because um, Jesus is our box. Like Jesus is the reason we're saved. And the, re- and the thing is, when Henry... Um, when he got, got out of the box, it's not like he said, okay, I've used this for what it's good for, and he threw it away. He continued using that. That was a source of his income. The reason he was able to live was this box, and everybody knew him for this box. So in the same way, Jesus has saved us, right? For a lot of us, Jesus has saved us, and, uh, but some of us have thrown him to the side. Some of us have, 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 have let go of Jesus, and, and, and um, we haven't continued to walk in him, and it's our job to be known for his name. When we die, people should talk about us after our death for Jesus, right? They talk, the reason Henry Brown is known is because of this box. Without this box, he, is a, he, 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 was, he, was, he was just a slave. This box led him to his freedom, and his box is what got the credit for it. A passage, the passage we're going to be in today, I think gives us a few good aspects of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and it's in John 8. Um, we're going to be in chapters 28 through 36. And if you would, please, women, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Um, if you're able. And uh, so starting in verse 28 of John chapter eight, it says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know, know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're all spring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me pray for us.
Father, I pray that, God, we would honor your word this morning and see it for what it really is. And that um, we would love you and serve you and, and go, for, go from this place changed because of your spirit and your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Um, so uh, what we see in this passage is Jesus is in a conversation with some Pharisees. Jesus is in a conversation with some Jews. And verses 28 and 29 just kind of are the end of that conversation. It, it started in uh, verse 12. And what Jesus is basically doing here is explaining that he's the light of the world. He's explaining, he's, he's giving a gospel presentation to these Pharisees. And um, because of that, because of this gospel presentation that we see, uh, many people in verse 30 believed in Jesus. So the first aspect that we have of following Jesus, of Jesus being our box, is to believe in the work of Jesus. Verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, as he was sharing the gospel, many believed in him. So <clears throat> what we see in verse 30 is, is just a pretty simple cause and effect. Because Jesus shares the gospel, uh, many believed. The Lord was faithful to save. And, but... Uh, in order to, to, to follow Jesus, in order to believe in Jesus, we have to understand what it looks like to believe in Jesus. And this is the first aspect of following Jesus. Obviously, you can't do anything for Jesus unless you believe in Jesus. So um, Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 gives a pretty good example of uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it's a pretty straightforward, uh, simple um, path to this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Starting in verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So in verse 9, we see here's how you're saved. And in verse 10, we see here's the reasons why this is, why, why this is what saves you. So first thing we see here that we're going to go over is to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Um, and, and then it says, With the heart one believes and is justified. But what's so significant about believing in the resurrection of Jesus, right? It, the, the scripture says, uh, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So why is it the resurrection of Jesus that matters? Why is it not, um, not everything else in his life that matters? And, and, and Paul isn't saying here that you don't have to believe all the other aspects of the gospel. What he's saying here is that if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then that implies the belief of all these other aspects of the gospel. And the resurrection of Jesus is what put the stamp on him, his de defeating of death, his victory over death. And honestly, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. We have a living Savior who defeated death, and only through him can we be saved. Uh, the next thing we see here is um, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in verse 10, it says, with the mouth, we confess and are saved. Um, if we believe in our heart, the gospel, if we believe who Jesus is, then we're going to confess that. These are married aspects. Imagine you, you're, if you're on a plane and you're flying, right? And I asked you the question of, um, if you're flying on this plane, which wing would you rather fall off the plane? That's a pretty dumb question because it, if one wing goes, the whole plane's going down. Like you might can survive without an engine for, for a little bit, but if a wing falls off, like you're, you're going down. Um, and in the same way, if we claim to believe but don't confess it, or if we confess it but don't believe, then, then we have a plane that's going down, and it's not going to stay up. If we believe in our heart, we're going to confess it, or else our faith is not authentic. We can't believe the gospel and not confess it. That's really 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 important so we see the process of what believing looks like we see um the, the, these these again two very simple straightforward points but um we have to know what we're believing in right our small group talked last night about um 
Like, what's the significance of understanding the gospel? If we don't understand the gospel, we can't believe the truth of the gospel, right? If we don't understand what that truth is. So what we're going to do quickly is walk through a little nine-point gospel presentation from front to back, from using scripture from all over the Bible, of what the gospel is. And we also talked last night about the gospel um, isn't something that we can hear too much of. It's not something that um, we can... Uh, hear and, and get tired of is something that we should constantly be hearing every single day. We should be preaching it to ourselves. So um, my prayer for you this morning is that if you're a believer in the room, uh, this, this would compel you to worship our Father. This would compel you to praise Him for what He's done. And if you're an unbeliever in the room, this would compel you to repent. And, and it, w- it would help you realize why we just stood here and worshiped and, and why people were raising their hands in worship of something that you don't really understand. And um, so hopefully that that's what we see here. So uh, quickly, walking through nine points of the gospel, uh, again, very quickly, God created man to be unified with him and everything was perfect. And we see this in Genesis 2. Um, we're not going to read through the whole chapter, but if you don't believe me, you can go there yourself. Um, God created man to be unified. We were com- in complete, perfect unity with him. He walked with us. He talked with us and uh, everything was perfect. But then uh, everybody knows the story. Man disobeyed God's command and introduced sin into our life. So the disobe- disobedience of God introduces sin. This is Genesis 3, 1 through 7, talking about the fall of man. And then because of, of Adam and Eve's sin, uh, number three, every person born of the seed of Adam is conceived in sin. Psalm 51, 5, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, so it's not like we, we come out of the womb, we have a choice between sin and Jesus, right? We are conceived in sin. We are born in sin. Therefore, every person in this room, every person on the planet is a sinner and deserves the wrath of God for eternity, right? But uh, one man who was born of a virgin, uh, number four, Jesus is born of a virgin being born without sin. Isaiah seven fourteen says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the significance of Jesus being born of a virgin is, again, he's born free of sin. So he's born with the option to choose, I want to obey the Father or I want to to follow sin and and what the world decides. Which leads to point five, which is he lived a perfect life with no sin. So Jesus always chose obedience, lived a perfect life. 1 Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And then number six, we see because of Jesus' sinless life, because of everything he did for the Lord, sinful man, sinful flesh says, that's not right. We don't want that. So Jesus was crucified and the wrath of God was poured out on him for our behalf. First John 410 says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, not that we love him, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for all of our sins. Then uh, number seven, the most beautiful point of the gospel, the, the, the thing that Paul was talking about in Romans 10, three days after Jesus was crucified, he rose from the dead and put the stamp, the, the, the victory stamp over death. And now death has no dominion over us. Death has no dominion over him. He defeated death and it, it, is, it is rendered useless and weak. First Corinthians 15, four said that he being Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And the last point, this is really the only part where we come into this, right? Other than us being terrible and wicked people. If we believe and confess in Jesus, we will be saved, which is in Romans 10, but also in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So this is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And our belief in this gospel, our belief in who Jesus is, and our confession of that is what saves us. Right. And that's what separates Jesus from every other religion. This is the only way. It's the only way that works because Jesus is the only man who could do what he did. He was fully God so he could intercede on our behalf to God. And he was fully man so that man could have a man to intercede to God. Does that make sense? So no, no other way works. Every other way requires us to do something, requires us to to work our way to a certain point. The only thing that can save us from our sin is Jesus and what he did and believing in him because God causes us to believe in him. So belief in Jesus that saves us. But what we see in verse 31 of John 8 is that um, just proclaiming this belief really doesn't cut it. That's not um, really all of what scripture is. Uh, or that's really not what, what everything means. So in John uh, 8 verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, which leads to the second point. We believe in the work of Jesus. Then we abide in the person of Jesus. If you see, um, you know, the word Jesus uses here, if you abide in my word, right? If you abide in my word. But the Greek word um, for word is logos. And that's the same word used in John 1, 1, where, um, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So, so, so Jesus is talking about himself. If we were going to read it in, in the, the original of what Jesus said, what he really said, how it was interpreted to the people who were there listening to it, was, um, if you abide in my person, if you abide in who I am, if you abide in what I say, you abide in who I am, and how I act, and what I've done, and what I'm going to do, then you are truly my disciples. So what does it mean to abide? You know, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? If that's what's going to prove that I'm a disciple of him. Um, the word abide in the Greek is the word menu, which means to continue. So if we continue in Jesus, then we will prove to be his disciples. This implies that just claiming to believe in him doesn't cut it. Just claiming to believe in him doesn't make our faith authentic. What makes our, our, our faith authentic is, is, is when we continue in him. So knowing this immediately brings the question to my mind of what does it look like to continue in Jesus? What does it look like to abide in Jesus? Because I do not want to be one of those people who when judgment comes, Jesus says, flee from me for I never knew you because I didn't know what it meant to know him. So a good scripture that talks about abiding in Jesus that I think a lot of us will be familiar with is John chapter 15 uh, verses one through six and verse eight. So. If you would turn there with me, uh, we're going to read through that really quickly. Starting in verse one, it says, I'm the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. The branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Then verse 8, by this my father is glorified. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So a couple of things we see here about what abiding in Jesus produces, what happens when we abide in Jesus is, uh, number one, abiding in Jesus leads to a production of fruit. Uh, we see this in verses four and five. It says very, very clearly, abide in me and I in you 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I'm the vine, Jesus, I'm, Jesus is the vine, you are the branches. We are the branches, and whoever abides in, in, in him and we in him, whoever abides in him and Jesus in us, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what if we don't produce fruit? What happens, what happens then? Um, what, what if this fruit that we're supposed to be producing isn't, isn't coming out? Like, what, is, what does that say about us? Verse 6 says that we're thrown away into the fire. To just, to, just to give you a, a short explanation of that. Now, this doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation in any way. That's not what I'm saying. You cannot lose a genuine, real salvation. If you have been saved, then you're always saved. But what I am saying is that many people think that they are saved and they're not. Um, imagine uh, that, that you have a tree. You're, you're a gardener and you have a tree. Or, or, or you know, you're, you're just at your house and you have a tree. Everybody has trees at their house. So you have this tree and, and, and some uh, is producing fruit. It's producing a lot of great things. And some kid comes up and grabs a, a stick that's on the ground over here and gets some tape and tapes it on the tree just to, just to mess with you, just to play with you. And you look out your window and you look at that tree and you see all the good fruit it's producing. And then you see this little branch that's not producing anything, that, that's empty with nothing. And you walk out there and look at it and under closer inspection, you see that this branch is never a part of this tree. This branch was never connected to the root, so you take it off because it's useless. In the same way, the people that Jesus is talking about here that don't bear fruit were never a part of his tree. Were never a part of the root that is there. They never genuinely believed in him. Not only are we going to to produce fruit, but we will long to produce fruit. If you don't really know what, what it looks like to abide in Jesus, you can go read Psalm 119. Uh, unfortunately, we can't read that this morning. It's 176 verses, so we'd be here for quite a while. But um, this psalm is full of songs to the Lord and people who long to obey his commandments. And not just the big commandments, not just the adultery commandments, not just the sexual immorality commandments, but, but all the commandments. Psalm 119 verse 131 says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I pant because I long for your commandments. I don't know if you've ever panted before, but it's usually when you're longing for water. If I've played Frisbee for a while or I've played uh, backyard football or I, I've ran a mile, which I don't know why I would be doing that, but I'm panting. I'm like doubled over and I'm, I'm panting. The only thing on my mind is water. The only thing on my mind is, is getting a drink, something to satisfy me, right? So, so in the same way here, when, when, when you pant for the Lord's commandments, that's all you can think about. Because all you want to do is obey him. Proverbs 12.1 also says, and this is it's pretty strong. You can flip to it if you don't believe it actually says this. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. It's the word of God, the word, the very, this isn't even something that I drew from. This is what the word of God says. If you hate reproof, you're stupid. And the, Greek, or the Hebrew word here used is, is, is concretely stupid. Like, like that, that just has a whole other aspect. Like you are concretely stupid if you don't want to follow the command of the Lord. Wanting to obey the God doesn't make you a legalist. Wanting to, wanting to, wanting to obey God in every aspect of his, of his word doesn't make you a legalist. If I stood up here and told you that if you left and went and started speeding, that you would be sinning, some people would probably call me a legalist. 
Or, or when, when, I, when I tell you I'm heartbroken over the fact that when I see my speedometer going, at, at this point, I used to not, when I speed, see my speedometer going over the speed limit and I look at the sign and I'm speeding, that breaks my heart because I'm sinning against the Lord, you would call me a legalist, some of you. But wanting to obey the Lord, wanting to obey God's commandments for his glory, not so we can get something in return. I don't want to go to heaven and God say, man, you, you obeyed the speed limit when nobody else was. That's awesome. You know, you get Jesus' spot. That's not what I want. I just want God to be glorified. The reason we love his commandments are so that we can produce the fruit to glorify him, which leads to the next thing, that if you abide in Jesus, God will be glorified. If we're producing authentic fruit, who gets the glory for that fruit? The branch or the vine dresser? Um, my dad used to, used to plant a garden. And, uh, and, you know, he would, he would be so proud of the stuff that grew in his garden. He'd take it up to my grandparents' house. But never did my grandparents look at a tomato or look at a pepper and, and just admire that pepper. Like, oh, my gosh, this is so beautiful. I love it. I want to hang it up on a wall. I want to honor this forever. Like, that's not what happens. We eat the tomato what they, or the pepper. What they do is say, dang, son, this is, you, you did a good job with these. They, they, they glorify, they, they um, give value to the person who grew it, not what grew. Because what grew it can't control what's happening. The person growing it is, is who controls what's happening. So in the same way, um, we, can, we can claim to be producing fruit for the Lord, claim to follow Jesus and produce fruit for him all we want. But if we're not glorifying the Father, we're not producing the fruit that God wants. We're, not, we're producing rotten, selfish, sinful-rooted fruit. That's a root of pride and selfishness. Again, we can claim to believe in Jesus all we want, but if we aren't abiding in him and we aren't producing fruit, then according to Jesus, you are not a follower of him. It's his words, not mine. The next point that we see, so we've seen uh, uh, believing in the work of Jesus, abiding in the person of Jesus. The last point that we see here is walking in the freedom of Jesus. In verses 32 through 36, Jesus continues his conversation after talking about abiding in him and being his disciples. Um, He says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So they're, they're confused. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So so in this, we see a little bit of a back and forth between Jesus and these people. Um, The first thing Jesus talks about setting these people free. He talks about um, abiding in him and and then he's going to set them free. And and immediately uh, when he does this. Uh, there's confusion about what this means in, in those people. They're like, how in the world can you set us free? We've never been enslaved to anyone. We're, we're the children of Abraham, which is a lie, by the way. If they, they were enslaved a lot. But we've never been enslaved to anyone. We're the descendants of Abraham, bro. Like, we're the people of God. Um, they had no idea what real slavery was. They had no idea. So the Jews defined slavery as bondage to a nation or, or to a person. Um, so they've never, they, they, they had no idea what it meant to be set free. But Jesus defines slavery as bondage to sin. So uh, imagine I'm standing here with you and I, I just pulled a syringe out of my back pocket. And, and I said, this syringe right here contains the cure for cancer. 
Right? So if, if I hold this syringe out and I say, I'm not going to sell it for a lot of money, the only thing I'm going to do is, is establish it to people or, or um, give it to people today. Right? You don't want this cure at all if you don't have cancer or if you don't know that you have cancer. You want this cure if you have cancer. If you have cancer, you want this more than anything. You want it so bad. But if you don't, it doesn't really mean anything to you. They had to understand what they were in bondage to. They had to see their disease before they could want the cure. And that's what Jesus shows them here. Um, In verse 35, after this little back and forth, Jesus actually links freedom back to abiding in him. So the Greek word for remain that we see in verse 35 is the same Greek word for abide in verse 31, to continue. If you continue in him, he links it back together, right? So, so walking the freedom of Jesus and abiding in Jesus are linked together and believing in Jesus. So um, Jesus is just reiterating the fact here that if you believe in him and he has saved you, you are going to follow him. And, and I, I might sound repetitive, but that's because Jesus was being repetitive. And there's probably a, a big reason Jesus was being repetitive. He actually, in verse 36, um, presses in once again on the fact that when he frees you, then you are really free. So, so again, this must be a big deal because Jesus is being really, really um, repetitive. And he's saying the same stuff over and over. He could have said it once and moved on. But since Jesus is making this point so much, it might be important that we understand what it means to be free. The Greek word for free, and I'm going to butcher this, I'm sorry, is eleutheru, is what I'm going to say. Um, and it means to set free, and in this case, from the dominion of sin. Uh, but also, uh, the word is uh, where we get the English word, the same word, without, a, without an extra O from. So, eleutheru, I guess. Um, which is the name of a plant that when it is used, it boosts immunity. So if you if you failed biology or don't remember anything about biology, um, the when we name plants, when we name when we name life, we use Greek and Italian or Greek and Latin, not Italian, and and uh, because they're pretty universally understood uh, languages. So so they use Greek words and uh, they use the same Greek word for free to, that that Jesus used to name this plant, right? So so it makes me think about the flu vaccine, and don't press too far into this analogy because it breaks down pretty quick. But I don't, I don't care what you think about the flu vaccine. It really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't. It, I, I, it, it's not going to make hurt me at night if you do or don't get a shot. But um, but when you get a vaccine, uh, it, it boosts your immunity to that disease, right? So um, so for example, like if I if I got the flu vaccine and um and it boosts my immunity to the flu, but then my mom got the flu. I'm not going to be like, hey, you know, it, it don't matter. You got, you got the flu because I got the vaccine. I'm not going like, to like drink after her and eat her food and, and because, because I'm not, I'm not going to be stupid. Like, I promise you, I could get the flu vaccine and then force myself to contract the flu. But um, we see this, I think, a lot in, in our walk with Jesus. We see we, we've gotten this freedom from Jesus. We've gotten this boosted immunity to sin, not because we injected sin, but because he's freed us from sin. So we have this ever increasing immunity to sin, but we but we still walk right next to it. We still walk in it because we think because I've got this boosted immunity. I, I, I don't I don't fall under the category that Jesus says when he says don't walk in darkness. The freedom Jesus offers isn't a freedom to sin. Because we have an advocate in him. It's a freedom from sin and an ever-increasing immunity to it. A good scripture that shows this is in Romans 6. This is the last place we're turning. So um, 
You've got your Bible turning skills in for the day. But Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. Um, Starting in verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in this passage, we see a very, very clear picture from Scripture of what it looks like to walk in the freedom of Jesus. And, and the theme of this, these few verses in reality is very simple, but we as a church love to overcomplicate it. And it's this, if you, if we are a follower of Jesus, we won't continue in sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to continue in sin. In order to walk in the freedom of Jesus, we must walk away from the bondage of sin. We can't continue walking in the very thing that Jesus freed us from. So think back to Henry Brown in the box. He had to flee the country. He had to, uh, to run from the country because that slavery was coming back for him. And he wasn't going to say, well, I escaped. I just wanted to make sure I could do it. So the next time I want to, I can, I can do it again. So I'll go back into this bondage. No, he fled so he could keep his freedom. In the same way, we have to flee from sin to abide in the freedom and walk in the freedom of Jesus. As a church, I think not just our church, but the universal church, we have watered down this passage so much for the sake of comfortability and wanting guests to come back and wanting people to be so sure of their salvation that people are going to die and go to hell because we aren't preaching the truth of what this word says. I understand that we won't ever be perfect, and that's not what I'm saying. I've sinned today. And we do have an advocate in Jesus for when we sin, but we have to start taking this scripture for what it is. This scripture says, if you claim to follow Jesus, but continue to walk in the same sin over and over, no repentance, no turning from that sin, then you are not a follower of Jesus. The only other alternate to this would be to say that Jesus was lying when he explained his freedom. He said, when I set you free, you are free indeed. Freedom doesn't mean you continue walking in slavery. So is Jesus lying or are we inauthentic in our faith? Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we are walking continuously in sin, then we aren't leaning on God's word. So he stored up the part so that I won't sin against you. This is, this is the same kind of area where he's talking about wanting discipline from the Lord. I've stored up your word. I want your discipline so that I won't sin against you. We're all about being disciplined to not commit adultery. We're all about being disciplined for these ginormous sins. But why aren't we heartbroken at, at the fact that when, when we tell a little white lie, we're offending God. When we break the speed, when we break the speed limit, we are sinning. Why aren't we heartbroken over this? Because we aren't resting in the word of God and walking with it in our heart continuously. It's not my job to tell you where you are or where you aren't. The spirit does a way better job of that than I could anyways. But what I do know is this. Believing in the work of Jesus, abiding in the person of Jesus And walking in the freedom of Jesus are married concepts. We can't focus on abiding in Jesus and walking in his freedom without constantly being reminded of the gospel that has gotten us to where we are.
Grace fuels everything. Grace has to be the fuel. Like John 15 said, um, we can't do anything on our own. We are worthless. We are useless. Useless. And even in, in my salvation, being saved uh, without walking in the Spirit, without walking with the Lord, we're still useless. Many days I have gotten home and, and thought, man, I was useless today because I wasn't walking with the Lord. Jerry Bridges wrote in The Discipline of Grace, we cannot effectively pursue holiness without going back again and again to the gospel. The gospel is the only foundation upon which we can build the disciplines necessary to pursue holiness. Grace and discipline cannot be separated. If you're a believer and you aren't abiding in the person of Jesus and the grace you've been given through the work of Jesus, then you have to go back to the gospel. You have to go back to him. So we can't abide in the person and and walk in the freedom without leaning on nothing but the gospel. Chad Post said this weekend, and I love this. It's going to be a little off, but essentially what he said was what Justin said, but in a different way. He said that um, if we add anything to Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, we no longer have Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. It's nothing but Jesus. If you aren't a believer in this room, then it is impossible for you to try and produce fruit and try to abide in it. It's impossible for you to walk in the freedom of Jesus and, and freedom from sin unless you first believe in Jesus and who he is in the gospel of Jesus like those three students did this weekend. But, but Judson, Jesus says in John 8 that the way you prove to be his disciple is if you continue in him and if you produce fruit and walk with him. If you don't do that, if you don't continue in him, the word of God says that your faith was so inauthentic, it's not even funny. And my faith would be inauthentic if I don't continue in Jesus. All of our faiths are inauthentic if we don't continue in Jesus. When Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. So let me ask you, are you living your life as a slave to sin Or have you allowed Jesus to become your box? Have you allowed Jesus to be your rescue who rescues us from sin, but not only that becomes the highlight of our life? Henry Brown's nickname was literally box because that's what his life was all about. That's what people knew him for was that box. And every aspect after that box saved him. He was still walking with that box and using that box in every single thing. The difference between him and us is he made that box useful. Jesus makes us useful. Jesus is the only way we can walk with him. Jesus is the only way that we can spend eternity with him. And apart from walking with him and abiding in him, then our belief in him is not true. 